when Robert was talking about the fixer-upper women's retreat, I could just sense the uh, excitement of the men in this room getting really pumped up about this. And <laughs> normally I would say, uh, men, um, take the initiative with things like this and go to your spouse and say, I'd love to send you on the retreat. Um, I'll take care of everything at home. Since this is a fixer-upper, think how it would sound, especially if you're, if you're not used to doing this, if you to go to her and say, hey, there's a fixer-upper retreat and I really want you to go to it. It probably wouldn't go over too well, and we would find, we would get the payoff of that, us guys would, because there would be a fix-him-upper retreat. It's a week long that would follow this. And so, uh, so, men, just pray, sit quietly when your spouse says, I would love to go, say, sure, honey, I'll be glad to support you in that. And then uh, pray that it's really a fixer-upper, too. That was a joke, guys. That was a joke. I, I lost half of you in that. It was, it was a joke. We're in this uh, series... What life are you waiting for? We're talking about five areas of health that are crucial to us. Uh, it's been part of the church for the entire 24-plus year run, part of the staff this entire time. And it dawned on me this week that, that for each of these things, we tend to have the same response or same request of God for it. So uh, spiritually surrendered. Weston taught on that about how uh, it would be our heartbeat. This would be foundational to everything else. This would be like the, the ground floor that we would want to surrender everything to God. And I think many of us that want that, our response in that to God has been help. Would you help me in that? Would you help me in that? And then I talked about emotions the week after that. And uh, I thought about the times that we've experienced anxiety or fear, or anger. And who of us has not gone to God and that said, help would you help me in that? And then last week about um, relationships that are rich, Weston did such a great job on that. And, and who among us has not thought about relationships and how we're doing them and said to God, help, would you help me in that? Next week, uh, we'll, have, we'll talk about physical health. And I know all of us have prayed for physical health at one time or another. For us or for others, God, help, would you help? And even today, I'm going to talk about, about finances. And even as I think about that, when, when we think about the income we hope to have, haven't we all at one time or another said, God, help, would you help? And then it dawned on me, there's one thing that's different, though. That was about the money we hope to have, but when it comes to the money we already have, so many of us tend not to say help, but we would say instead this. You can't touch this. <laughs> you can't touch this. Yeah. <laughs> you can't touch this. <laughs> if MC Hammer, yeah, if you've heard any rap music, you've heard MC Hammer. And uh, man, before the, we were doing the sound stuff and someone said, hey, uh, bust a move. And I said, man, I'll be busted if I bust a move. But if you were looking carefully, there was a two-inch wiggle that happened there. So that was, that was my best at this stage. And when I was in my prime, it'd be a four-inch wiggle. This is my best right now. Uh, but, but how many of us, and when you think about it with... When it's this, God, help, help, help. But when it's this, it's don't touch this. And yet God has so much to say about this, and it is so countercultural. It's so counterintuitive. In fact, there's so many things that we look to money for, and God just begins to unravel all that and, and say, I want to speak into that. I want to give you my guidance, my direction about that, and it's completely countercultural. But but he needs to break through because so many of us look at money for three things. We look at it for satisfaction, and to one level, that's okay. 
I mean, God would intend that some of our money bring satisfaction, but it can become a God in itself. We could, we can purchase an item today and it's bright and shiny. There's a lot of satisfaction. There's less tomorrow, less the next day until we need a new shiny thing again. And so we can use our money just to try to be satisfied continually with something or with some things. We might use it for security, and there's a piece of that that's very biblical, but we might look at that as our ultimate security, and there comes a day that that will crumble. It will not suffice for the security we need, no matter how much money you and I have. We may look to it for significance. That's a place God never wanted us to look for significance but how easy it would be to think about the, the home that you have and maybe compare it to ones who have less than you and begin to feel significant because of that. Or the opposite's true. The home you have and those you think of have more than you and you think less of yourself. Or the car that you drive, maybe an example of the car that you drive, the vacations you take, the toys you have. So many times we're tempted to think our significance comes or doesn't come because of the stuff we have, because of money. So, so God has, he speaks so clearly about money to us. I, I first began to really pay attention to what he said when Marie and I both trusted Jesus in 84. And, and I read something that changed my whole approach to money. It began to change the entire approach to money. I read John 10, 10, where Jesus said, I've come to give you life in all its fullness. And Marie and I had come far enough into this new life of faith to really believe he meant that and he would come through on that. I've come to give you life to the fullest. And so when it came to hearing fresh again, and, and she and I grew up in church our whole lives, when we heard fresh again, following Jesus, what God said about money, we began to take him at his word because we believe, this is the core belief, Jesus said, I will give you life to the fullest, just follow me. He didn't say the, the richest, he said, life to the fullest. So to lay the groundwork, there are only three things we can do with money. We can give it, we can save it, we can spend it. It's not rocket science, is it? It boils down, what else can you do? You can give it, you can save it, you can spend it. God has a lot to say about all three of those. And I want to start with where he tends to start. I want to talk about God on giving. There are three things he says that are key about how we give. The first is he says, give generously. So, so I, I heard that in 84, beginning of 85, and I thought, man, we're there. And, and in my mind, we were. Like, like we were giving a radical 2% of our income. I mean, it, was a, it was above and beyond. You, gold stars, hand out gold stars. That was my perspective. And then I began to hear and see what God was saying in Scripture. And, and giving generously to him was a whole different ballgame. Many, many places say this. Leviticus 27.30, give, give one-tenth of the produce, so 10% of the produce of the land, where the grain from the fields, fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord, must be set apart to him as holy. And over and over again, God says, throughout the Old Testament, he says, I want you to give 10%. And I thought, maybe the New Testament will save me. You know, some stuff they did away with, a bunch of the sacrifices. So I, I get to the New Testament. And I come across this passage in Matthew 23, 23. And Jesus is really ridiculing the messed up people that um, they were doing, they were checking all the boxes, but they had forgotten to love God and love people. And so he's saying, you need to love God, love people. But you also, he said, but yes, yes, you must tithe. He said, that still holds. You can't just love God, love people and say, do away with that. Matthew 23, 23, yes, you should tithe. And then in, in this generosity, what I've learned over time, 
when I look at the New Testament, every single example of giving where there's some sense of how much was given, it is always more than 10%. And so I shouldn't be surprised when there are seasons where God says to me, in this season, I don't want you to give 10%. I want you to give more than that. And the truth is, in most of, of our entire harbor run, for us, God has said more than that. I want you to give more. That's your measure of generosity is more than that. So God says, give generously. He says, give cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Have you ever had someone give you something cheerfully one day and someone else give you something with a sour attitude the next on it? Not that this is an example of reality, but I'll just give you, tell you this, like just suppose it would happen. So this is reality. My wife Marie had surgery on a knee back uh, late last year. It was healing. She re-injured it. She's had this run, like she had a whole two-week run where she could put no weight on it. So she was living on one leg and a walker. And I don't know if you've tried that. You can't do much. I tried carrying a drink of coffee or something, anything. You can't do much. And so I have been her helper. I've been her helper through that two weeks. Now she's barely putting weight back on. And I've been the one to do all this stuff. Now, imagine the days I do it joyfully, how she feels. Isn't it a great gift? Now, not that this has ever happened, but suppose I did it without joy. Yeah, you can laugh at that because you know there were some other times that it wasn't enthusiastically. It's totally different, isn't it? And so God is saying, yeah, I want you to give generously. But when you do, I don't want it to be this, like, because I have to. You're a demanding God. It's out of this sense of, of his gratitude, this joy, to give cheerfully. And then finally, give sacrificially. First Chronicles 21, 24, David is writing. He's saying, I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. And uh, there, comes a, there comes some times in one's life following Jesus where it seems evident to me, it's been true of our lives, where God's saying, yes, give generously, and it begins with 10%, give cheerfully. But here's the season now. I want it to cost you. I want, it, I want you to feel some of the discomfort because you're simply giving to my cause that I have for you. Had some great questions after first service. One was, uh, so who do we give this to? And I would say, biblically, at the very core, it would be to God's church, like with a capital C. Not just the harbor, but the church down the street or down the street from there. And to the church, because when the, when the local church is healthy, all ministry emanates from that. All of the other ministries uh, for you know, pro-life and on and on and on, they all emanate from healthy churches. So at the core, it would be here. But God's had us... Most of the time, give here the 10% plus and other places as well. Give generously, give cheerfully, give sacrificially. So um, if you're giving little or nothing right now, that is wild. I, I get it. That is really wild. There's another passage on tithing that I want to tell you about just so you know how wild God is as well. Malachi 3.10 says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. In other words, bring it to the church so my ministries can be done. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. Then the verses that follow for them and their setting, it's material blessings, it is. But what I've seen throughout all of Scripture and throughout life on God, it, it may or may not be material blessings. It may be something else, but there will be blessings in that. So when Marie and I in early 
I guess no, it was late 85, we began to actually tithe for the first time. We tithed for a few months. My company decides to transfer me from West Texas to Dallas. So the company gives us a three-day house hunting trip. Uh, we burn the first two days with a realtor, and there's nothing even close. We're going to downsize. We've already figured that out. Need to downsize. We built way too much. Going to downsize. Uh, so we burn Friday, burn Saturday, Saturday night. The realtor says, hey, I will meet you at sunrise. We got one last day. We found nothing. And Marie and I looked at each other and then her and said, well, you know, like, we're not going to start till after church. Like, following Jesus was new, but we thought, he owns the universe. We're going to start with church. And so she argued about that and finally gave in. And we said, we'll meet you at one because we'll go to church. We'll get a bite to eat, meet you at one. So we go to this church. Church is done. We get a bite to eat, have some minutes to spare. We drive around the neighborhood. And there's, this is no kidding. Like, there's this house. We have never felt this before. Like, there was like this spotlight on this house. Like, we thought, like, this is your house. And we, we, when the realtor came, we said, we think we found it. And you're getting off easy because you'll get done early. But so she got the key. We saw the house. It was everything, everything we wanted in the downsize. And so we're all excited about that. We, we go back and we begin to cash out the stuff we had um, foolishly, like we had built our dream home. We bought six acres, hired an architect and a builder and built this crazy home. We move in, Marie's 26, I'm 28. It's way, way too much money. Start cashing it all out. We're, I'm anticipating how much will come, selling the tractor and all this other stuff. And somehow we end up with like in today's dollars, like $75,000 more than we expected. And Marie and I are going like, wow. It was like a wow, but we didn't know what to do with the wow. So it just is sitting there. So we move into this house that had the spotlight. And pretty soon after moving in, there was a herd of squirrels. You may not describe, there was a herd of squirrels and they ate the wooden roof. They ate the roof and we had to put a brand new roof on the house. Then... I lose the sequence of all of it, but at some point in time, there was a water leak underneath our house, and we had people jackhammering for days the concrete through all of the house, the kitchen, the hall, this bathroom, bathroom, jackhammering the whole thing. They finally found it. It was hugely expensive. Finally found it, patched it, and we said, we're done. And they said, well, yeah, until it breaks again, unless you put sink these deep piers down to the bedrock. And I think the bedrock there, I think it was 18 feet. That cost a boatload of money. More of these things were happening. I remember the night Marie woke me up and she said, hey, I want you to come listen to the wall. <laughs> we don't drink. We don't do drugs. I thought, listen to the wall. She said, yeah, come in here. I went to the living room and sure enough, there's something eating our wall. It was termite infested. And, and Marie, that night she said, when do you think it will end? I said, I think when that pile of money is used up, and it ended exactly in that pile of money. I mean, to the dollar, to the dollar. We, we would live in that house five years, a couple of one-offs of it. Uh, we bought it in March or April of 86. And on March 26th of 86, the movie The Money Pit came out. It was about our house. It was about our house. We lived there five years. Why did God put a spotlight on it? I mean, Marie and I, are, we are totally convinced there was this teenage boy that lived next door to us there, very, very toxic home. I befriended him, did a bunch of stuff with him, talked to him about Jesus over and over and over and over. He kept saying, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. Late one night, three or four years into this, late one night, he rings the doorbell. 
and his father had been shot and killed, murdered in his presence. Just, you can only imagine. So two days later, he's on our couch and he trusts his life to Jesus. But I have this question. It's a crisis. You, you grab at anything, but did he really do it? I, I wondered, but the rest of our time there, this, this young man followed Jesus with abandon. We have moved all over the country since then. He's found us every place, every single place, and said, hey, I'm following Jesus with abandon. Began on your couch that day, on your couch. I mean, that's why God put us there. And so he knew, like, we were new tithers, and he knew the house was about to collapse. Didn't surprise him. And he thought, I'm just going to bless them and give them the money in advance when it collapses they'll have the money they'll pay for it so I can get them next to this kid so they can have the joy like the joy of seeing this kid come to know Jesus Amen. so some time passes and um, God leads me clearly leads me to quit my job and go to seminary and I'm a planner around money and everything I'm a planner so I, I planned out how much money we need to have to go through all of seminary and um, but I, I did not plan I can't bore you with the details. I had to quit Thanksgiving. Classes wouldn't start until mid-February. I had not planned that in. We would be burning money for almost three months with no classes, like no credits. I had not planned that. But so I, I quit Thanksgiving, and I got a call soon after. Hey, we need to pay you for five more days because of this. And then another call, pay you for a few more days for this. And no, no one had any idea except Marie and me when classes would start. And that kept happening. I thought, this is crazy. It didn't dawn on me till I started my first day of classes mid-February that my company had paid me up to the day before. Full employment, full business to the day before. Like only God. God says, man, follow me with abandon. Do what I say. I mean, give, give me yourself, including your money, and just watch and see what I might do in that. So a little bit of time passes. There was a, a huge expense. There was no way to anticipate that came up. And so it wasn't in the plan. And so I wrestled around that for some period of time, a couple of weeks. I get this phone call from my company, which I left months before. And the guy says, hey, we're going to give you this big bonus. And I thought, I was really good. Man, I was really, really good. And so I said, you know, I wanted him to tell me. So I said, well, why are you doing it? The guy said, I don't know. <laughs> we're just, you know, it just came up and somehow we're giving you a bonus. So, just, so, so it covered that unexpected expense here. It covered all of that for us. We finished seminary, we were doing ministry, we were a ways into ministry, and there was a really lean time. We didn't tell a single soul. And all of a sudden in the mail, there was an envelope addressed to us. Inside was just cash. And then a little more time passed, and there's envelope, cash. Envelope, cash. Envelope, and no one knew. Somehow God had stirred some generous soul who wanted God to have the credit, not to have some generous soul, and just and covered all of that force. Why do I tell you this? We didn't expect any of it. I don't expect anything tomorrow. We didn't expect any of it. But, but we did say to God, like, like this stuff that we got, it's no longer, you can't touch this. Like, it's just wide open, God. Like, you, you figure out stuff better than we do. You say, if we do this, then you will bless us in whatever ways you choose to do. I mean, that, that was just our experience about it. We're telling God, I'll do whatever you say, including with my money. 10% can feel impossible. If you're giving nothing or 1% or 2%, it can feel impossible. And today it may be impossible unless you 
wreck up your world pretty wildly or go rob a bank. Uh, but God knows that. And, and so I'll give you a book resource at the end that will help you on this. But I would say, I would say, say to God, here, this is yours. And I understand. I don't know how to do it yet. And there may be a way you can begin. You can just begin. And so let me give you an example. If you make $50,000 a year, 1% of that is $500 a year. That's $10 a week. I mean, you could say to God, look, I don't know how to figure this out, but I, I can figure out 1%. I'm going to begin the 1%, whatever it may be. I'm going to begin the one and then help me figure out the rest of it. And again, there's a book that'll help guide you in ways to, to pursue that and work forward from that. It, it, it can be daunting, but God, this is what God says. He says, give generously, give cheerfully, give sacrificially. He also says a lot about saving he tells us to save for unexpected and future known expenses, to save for those Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. I love this. Makes me laugh about myself. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. And if you're not lazy, the message is still the same. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler, and I would add no brain, to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. They save. They, they work and save for lean times. God's saying we, we must do the same. The examples would be if you have transportation, it will not last forever. I can testify to that. I drove a pilot. It hit 150,000 miles, and I was hoping for 200. Hit 200, I hoped for 250. Got close to 250, I hoped for 300. It died at 247 miles. It bit the dust. It's gone. It's dead. There was a time why we needed to buy another car. Marie's car, now, on the other hand, it was built the year the harbor started. It's still running. It's so cool. It doesn't have an air conditioner, but today, doesn't matter today. <laughs> Don't miss it. The summer will be different, but, but it's going to bite the dust one day. Transportation, it will not last forever. Appliances, our washer and dryer are ancient. Maybe yours are as well. Home repairs happen. We, golly, we... Everyone has a fence, don't they, it seems like? So our house came with a fence, and it all was fine. It was getting old and holes and all this stuff, but it's fine. So I gave Marie a puppy for Christmas a couple years ago, and the puppy kept squeezing its way out through the holes and getting away. Easy solution, doesn't cost anything, get rid of the puppy. <laughs> <laughs> new fence, you know, need to save for new fences. Caution if you buy puppies. Think it out thoroughly before you buy puppies. I mean, there are repairs that have to happen. If you have kids, maybe you're thinking about, should I save for more education, for trade school, college, whatever it may be. Save for retirement. I, I want to, who are the young people in this room? Man, if I can get your attention, yes. Yeah, you're young. You're, everyone's young to me. You all are youngsters here, guys. So, so let, me, let me, you young guys, you're thinking there's time for that later. When I was 18, it was 50 years ago, when I was 18, I had $1,000. If I had simply put it in S&P 500, you know how much I'd have today? $100,000. And I spent it 50 years ago. $100,000. So I say that to you. Be retirement. I mean, if whatever age you're off, you're not sorry. You need to, to be saving toward that. Save for the unexpected. God simply says, save. It's a, it's a hedge against debt, isn't it? If we have not saved for something and there's this need that's there, then it's a hedge against debt. The Bible doesn't tell us never to have debt. It tells us to take on debt very, very cautiously because it's, it's mortgaging the future, isn't it? It's banking on future income that we don't yet have. It, it restricts what we can do, how we can live. There's great restriction in it. The exceptions might be transportation. If you need to get to school or work or something, you need some transportation. You may need to borrow for that perhaps. It may be a roof over your head, 
Maybe you decide, I'm, I'm done paying rent. I'm going to take on some debt for a house. Don't do what we did in West Texas when we were kids. I mean, we foolishly spent way too much money and paid a heavy price for that. If, if you put a roof over your head, be mindful of how much you spend for that. Um, saving is a hedge against against debt, isn't it? God says, give. He says, save. He says, spend. I give you the simplest formula I can give you. There's nothing concrete about the totality of it. Give 10%. We understand that. God makes that clear. 10%, maybe more sometimes. Save. I would just throw in 10%. If you have a generous retirement plan from your employer, maybe 10% will be enough through your lifetime. Maybe not. 10%, which leaves spending 80%. Now, here's the thing that makes this work. It's where Marie and I have tripped up and we've learned about all the trip ups. If you put down 80, it doesn't work. It doesn't commute, compute if you spend 85. You can't do 10, 10, 85. You don't have to be a math major to get that. It, it, if you figure this out, you've, you've got to make the spin part fixed. Marie and I, this summer, we'll have been married 45 years. The entire run, we've kept a budget. If I go home and pick up a couple of subways for us, Tonight, I'll be writing that down on this budget. Just keeping, we found that's, that's the only chance we have of actually keeping to that, being, going day by day by day, seeing where we're at for 45 years now. We had, man, we had the, the blessing. I had the blessing. Marie's parents weren't this old, but of having parents who grew up during the Great Depression. And, and they learned not to waste anything. My entire life run, they rented inexpensive homes and then they shopped for bargains, and they made stuff last. Um, you, you all know about the Ziploc bags today, but sandwiches and all that. Well, the earlier version of that, there was no zip. <laughs> it, was just, it was called a baggie and all. And we laugh about my mom. We say she bought a, bag, uh, a box of baggies, used it the rest of her life because she rinsed it out. <laughs> she would rinse those suckers out till they ripped, and then she'd finally give in, buy another box later. But my brother and I grew up not blinking an eye. I mean, they, my parents were joyful and happy, and we thought, this is the good life. And it can be. You know, the, the satisfaction and the security, significance and all, it's not in the stuff. The stuff can never give that on, a, on an ongoing, lasting basis. It's in much, much more. It's in God. It's in knowing, following Jesus, and then it's in these rich relationships. That's where it all comes from. We got to watch that growing up from them because they... they they could show us how a little bit would be more than enough. I got to say this because some of you in this room are married. And whatever you figure out, you got to figure it out together. I mean, it's, you're going to have dynamite. If you go figure it out on your own, then come tell your spouse. It's going to be a big, big problem. Now, if, if both of you are savers, that's, that's okay. You may end up leaving your kids too much, but you're both are savers, you're on the same page, and that's okay. If one of you is a saver, one's a spender like Marie and me, then you have to work harder, but you probably end up in the sweet spot of that. If both of you are spenders, God help you. I don't know what happens if both of you are spenders then. <laughs> so if, if you're married, you, you got to work it out together. Actually, the first time Marie and I went to counseling, it, it was over this car that I was driving to work up in Dallas at the time, in the wintertime, that uh, did not have the heater, defrost, and all that was out. And so whenever there was ice or snow, I just rolled down the window, and, and Marie said, that's too dangerous. And we, I could have fixed it for $100. We went to counseling. We paid $600 for a counselor to agree with me. It was worth every penny, every penny. To this day, Marie says that he agreed with her, but 
I'm telling the story today. He agreed with me. So, but I say that to say jokingly, but truthfully, if, if, if it's a struggle, I mean, get a good counselor. They know how to walk through with you and help you come to a point where you can feel like you're on target with this. I mean, God's word on money, it's so easy to understand. It's not rocket science that requires us to be financially disciplined, doesn't it? Hey, you could go home. You could say 10, 10, 80 or 10, 15, 75, or you can go home and do that, but it takes financial discipline, doesn't it, to do that? Probably the most influential mentor of my life has been Paul, who lived almost 2,000 years ago. And Paul would certainly live out, probably better than any of us, how God planned money. And this is what he would write toward the end of his life in Philippians 4. And, and listen for the... Um, the, the uh, security that's in this, the significance, the satisfaction in this, he would say, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Satisfaction, security, significance in God, saying to God, this is the stuff I have, God. This is yours. You tell me what to do with this. You show me what to do with this. So 84, I read where Jesus said, I've come to give you life to the fullest. And we'd seen some people we thought were living that life, and we, we believed he could pull that off. And now we are how many years later? 38 years later. And, and he delivers on his promise. He says, give me your life. Hey, just do my leading, do my bidding, and I will give you the fullest life imaginable. If you want to take some of this and, and uh, see where you can go with it, there's a book that I offered uh, when it came out in 2017 called The Money Challenge by Art Rayner. It's a Christian-based. It, it offers a 30-day plan to wrestle through some of these things. Very uh, encouraging, very doable, very readable. It doesn't take you to an end game if you're starting at square one, but it gets you started. It gives you direction, gives you tools to use. I would highly recommend this. Those of you that bought it five years ago, I've heard great feedback from you. And then if you want to learn, like from a Christian perspective, like to understand the financial world and investments and taxes and all this stuff, for 30 years I've gotten whatever the latest version has been of the Sound Mind Investing Handbook by a Christian man named Austin Pryor. Uh, he will walk you through in layman's language, easy to understand, everything you'd ever want to know about money, investing, financing, God's cause, God's purpose, the whole nine yards. So I don't have copies of it. You can find it online. Again, this is the 2021 version, up to date with all the tax implications and everything else as well. I would highly recommend this as well. This is what God's doing. He's saying, okay, um, probably all of us at one time or another, and maybe, maybe today you're at this place of saying, in every other area, help, 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 help. But here you're saying, you can't touch this. And God's saying, if, if you're in that mode, he's just saying, just, just do this with me. Just trust me. Tell me what to do with the stuff I have. You're God of everything. What life are you waiting for? Father in heaven, um, I know. I know you're good. I know that can, that can um, be fleshed out in so many ways. 
And so many of those ways have nothing to do with money. I, I can even look back at my life. I can even see some suffering that ended up in great good. You were good in all of it. I think of, of your story. Jesus. <laughs> Yours wasn't this uh, walk through a rose garden. You were there in, a, in this uh, olive grove, knowing the price you'd pay. But you knew that paying that price, you knew you would rise from the dead and you would offer us a brand new life. You would say simply, if you will follow me, give me your life, you would say, I will give you life to the fullest in return and a life that will never end. Father, may that soak into us and may that help us respond in a way around finances that will express faith, and gratitude and love for you. I pray this with um, great expectancy. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay in worship with us.
for some of you today, the, like the first step that changes everything would be for you to say to Jesus, um, I believe you came knowing me and you died knowing me and all my sins, all of them. You died anyway for me. And then you rose from the dead. And even now uh, your, your heart is bent toward me. And what he's asking is one simple thing. I gave my life for you. Would you give your life in return to me for me to lead it and guide it? And you won't even know the half of what that means. It won't matter. All that will matter is you really mean it when you say, here's my life, Jesus. I, I will see however you lead me. I will give you space to speak into my life through church and scripture and Christian friends. I will give my life to you. And he will forgive every single sin. He will change your eternal address. Heaven will be yours one day, and he will begin to rework everything about you and your life and your world. It's a stunning deal, friends. There's nothing else like it. If that's you, then, then would you all bow with me? I want to pray for some of you and then pray for all of us. Father, I, I pray for those who came in today never having trusted your son, Jesus. I pray that, that now in the quietness of their mind and soul. They would authentically say to your son, Jesus, would you please lead my life? Would you please forgive my sins? Here I am. Lead, I surrender. And for the ones that do that, guard them and guide them and protect them. Give them clarity and assurance that now they, they have begun a new life. Give them assurance they have a new eternal address. Give them assurance that there's a path now that you will work in their lives. They will give them life to the fullest. And those of us, Father, that already know your son Jesus, been following him, maybe we've become tired or weary or drifted. Wherever we're at, you love us yet. Jesus, you, you forgave us yet. You meet us right where we are. For any drifters, may they just with clarity say to, to you, Jesus, again, I'm yours and I'm yours. Take me where I am as I am. And then, Father, all this thing about money, it's, it's, not, it's not really about the money. I know it's about our heart. Will we give you the stuff that tends to matter to us and to this world? Will we give it to you? May we learn to do that with abandon, Father. Father, you're a great God. As we go from this place, I pray you would guard us and guide us and use us, Father. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, resources in the back, newcomers lunch in about 15 minutes, third floor. If you're fairly new, come join me and a bunch of others for that. Love you guys.